you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And, like, there's so much fucking smoke at DCG, you can't breathe. Hello there. How are you all? Are you doing well? I'm out here in Miami. It is beautiful. I cannot wait for the conference to start. Hopefully, I'm going to see all of you soon here. Also, are you coming to our live event? Come on. We've got Lynn Alden and Jess Snyder together. Come and check it out. If you want to get a ticket, head over to whatbitcoindid.com. Click on WBD Live. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which brought to you by Iris Energy, the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got the legend David Bailey, the CEO of BTC Inc. on the show, the man behind Bitcoin Magazine, and Bitcoin 2023, the conference here in Miami that kicks off in 10 days. Now, David has been running the Redeem BTC campaign who are a group of GBTC shareholders interested in trying to figure out a path to redemptions and generally ensure the trust is being run in the right way. So obviously in this interview, following my interview with Michael Sunshine, we had to get into GBTC. We had to get into Genesis, but we also had to talk about the Bitcoin conference. Now, I hope you enjoy this. If you've got any questions about this or anything else, you know what to do. You can hit me up. Hello at whatbitcoindid.com. David Bailey. How are you, man? Good. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, anytime, anytime. Uh, I fly into Miami tomorrow. Okay, I like I like it. Yeah, you're building the hype. I uh, well, I'm going to go to the F1. Nice. And then I'm going to have a week off. I haven't had a holiday in a year, and then good place all, to do it. All hard on the conference. When are When are you going to come visit uh, Puerto Rico? Do you know what me and Danny have been talking about this a lot? Post yeah. Post conference, come on over. Yeah, we want to see you, and we want to see Peter Schiff. And we want to see uh, Logan Paul. We we think you're the three the three big hitters of Puerto Rico. <laughs> Dude, there's a crew down here. There's a crew, but yeah, I think uh, uh, Peter Schiff and Logan Paul they got the Dorado the Dorado scene on lock. Um, well, dude, thank you for having me on your podcast. I, if I remember correctly, the last time we did this was like I think ahead of Bitcoin 2021. I think it's been yeah. a good minute. I think I was in El Salvador when we did that. I think I was. And, and you well, were—you you was were railing big. hard. I, yeah. was real hard. <laughs> I actually had many people approach me after that interview, and they're like, "You know, I decided to come to this conference after I was—I uh, got so hyped." Uh, I mean, we were—I uh, had some great one-liners there. Like, if you come to the conference, you might die. Um, and you know, like, yellow fever didn't cancel the American Revolution, so COVID's not canceling the Bitcoin conference. So, yeah, that was a—that was a fun interview. I think, like, if we'd have done it last year. There wasn't really much to shout about, but I think uh, I think you got plenty to uh, lose your shit about this year again. Now, <laughs> how is everything yeah. going? Everything Good. ready, or is it chaos? No, it's chaos. Every year is chaos when you're this close to the event. Uh, you know, it's like uh, when you're about 45 days out, we go through like our annual canceling moment. So, like every year, we get boycotted by somebody. Like for some reason, about 45 days out, it happens like perfectly. This year it was Ordinals. Last year it was the Cuban Exiles. It was the San Francisco feminist. It, the year before that, it was because uh, of COVID. Um, I, we also got canceled over Surfer Jim. I don't know if you remember the whole like Chamath thing where uh, Chamath tried to dunk on Surfer Jim and it kind of blew oh, he, up in his face. Yeah, and he didn't come, did he? He, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't come. So every year, about 45 days, there's like a big drama. And then, you know, when we get to about under three weeks, like the final three weeks, like anything new, it gets stopped like 30 days out. And then the final three weeks is like, oh shit, we forgot this we're missing this and it's just scramble 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 so the whole team is like going hard but it's all coming together it's gonna be very nice mate we did our first live event in bedford recently for 150 people and it nearly killed me 150 people <laughs> and i was nearly dead yeah man you know uh event organizers they don't get any respect you know it's like you're always like oh you're just throwing an event what's so hard about that but there's a lot of details, a lot of details, uh, just like a line item budget for the conference is, you know, 15, 1600 line items. And each of those line items is a consolidated line item. So like maybe there's, you know, 30 or 40 line items that fall underneath that. So, I mean, it's a massive production that takes, you know, uh, I think our event team is like probably a dedicated, dedicated 30 people that just work year round just on the event. And then there's more that work on it for like when we're in go time. So I see you've been yeah. sneaking some guests in recently as well. So Tulsi Gabbard is in. Yeah. Yeah. That's a get. That's a good one. We, uh, we got a few good ones. 
uh, we got uh, David Marcus from uh, uh, was formerly of the Evil Empire Facebook, but yeah. now uh, building uh, a lightning startup that I think he's a, he's revealing basically what they've been working on, um, and he's kind of dedicated the rest of his career to to building on lightning. Um, you know, we just announced RFK yesterday, which uh, was pretty cool. You need to talk to RFK while you're. Holy shit! You didn't see that? No. Yeah. And so I did a show with uh, Larry Lapard recently, and he was waxing lyrical about it. And he said, "You've got, you've got to interview him." So yeah, we uh, yeah, he'll be around for a few days. So you got to find some time to talk to him. But uh, uh, the I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, but we have who's effectively the next president of Indonesia, uh, Ramil Right Raid Kamil. Yeah, 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 I'm looking at it. Yeah, it's I can't I can't say it, but. Uh, we don't know exactly what he's going to announce, but like we may have our next El Salvador in the making. Uh, so like, uh, and you know, I had to do a little Google search on like the population of Indonesia. It's like 50 El Salvador's no shade on El Salvador, but <laughs> it's like another level. So, uh, uh, yeah. And then, uh, uh you got my buddy a, Eric Weinstein on. Yeah. And then we got a couple surprises yet to be announced, uh, that I think are going to, Close of minds. So yeah, I, got, I got bumped. I was uh, I was surprised to see myself when you first announced it. I was in one of those first nine slots, and then all these big hitters coming. I was like, "Yeah, I'm out of there." <laughs> Motherfucker. Yeah, man. Hey, we have to let the market speak. Okay, that's all I can say. Look, it's it's a great set of speakers. In some ways, like you had some kind of you had some massive names last year, but people, I was like, hmm. Well, I mean, what's Serena Williams got to do with this? Like, it was so cool to see her there and see her talk. But yeah. like, everyone here now is important for really important reasons. Yeah, no, I mean, last year's event was like it was like sensory overload. And I mean, dude, we did it at a scale like no one has. Like, it was the biggest finance event in the world last year. I mean, uh, twenty six thousand people were like checked in through the door, which means that you know we probably had like sixty thousand people come to Miami, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was overload. People didn't even know what was going on because it was so much stuff like Tucker and uh, Carlson was there doing like a private, like he did a speech to like 20 people in like some sideway room. No one even knew what was going on. You know, uh, uh, we had like the most random assortment of people there. So this year, the, like the events like half as big as last year, we have like, let's call it 12,000, 13,000 people. And we've compacted the footprint. So like last year, the footprint was bigger than the, the Super Bowl. This year, the footprint is like 40% of last year's footprint. So when people go there, it's going to feel packed, uh, but it's like, it's because we are like bringing it in. You're not having to walk like two miles to see stuff. So uh, everything is like much more focused and intentional, whereas last year was just like fucking just like throwing stuff. Someone's like, hey, I want to speak. And we just put them in a room and just move on. So uh, yeah, man, it's a. Uh, uh, it's coming together quite nicely. It's a bear market event, which means like it's all the hardcore people. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, I don't want to give anything away, but you know, there may, there may be, uh, a big changes coming after this year. And so you don't want to miss, you don't want to miss like the, the, uh, you know, uh, Miami event. You don't want to miss it. All right, well, listen, I'm going <laughs> to grab something. I want to show you something. Something I'm bringing with me. One second. I'm, I'm bringing these with me. Okay, dope. I'm bringing these with me. Of course. You have to, man. Yeah. I'm going to bring those with me now. I don't know how the fuck I'm going to get them there. I haven't thought that through. Uh, so big changes are coming, right? And you're not going to give anything away, but that means it's not in Miami. Uh, for Bitcoin uh, 21, we uh, actually had like the guy that won the MMA, uh, like, world championship or whatever and he wanted to come uh to the conference he wanted to go to whale night etc he wanted a whale pass and we're like we'll give you a whale pass but on the sole condition you have to wear your belt uh your world championship belt to the party and you have to stroll around saying bitcoiners are number one he's like i'm i'm in done so you know bring in your trophy you gotta you gotta you gotta flex man you gotta flex dude i'm i'm mc in day two i'm gonna walk out on stage with them dude congratulations so fucking cool what you're doing with uh, Real Bedford. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I'm going back. There's an important thing. So you're you're not going to be in Miami next year. Hmm. 
what are you going to do? You can decentralize it in five cities. You can do it like the World Cup, where they move it to five countries. Dude, I I don't know what you're talking about, and I can't I can't comment. I'm just saying, yeah, you don't want to miss this year. Right? Okay. Well, I don't miss any year. I've been I've been to all of them since 19. I fucking love it. I'm pumped for it. And you can have some surprise. Okay. Well, listen, we'll wait and see it. Um, anything you want to say about the show before we start talking uh, talking about Bitcoin about the event? What do I want to say about the show? You know. I'll say is this, like there's a lot of hate that you'll see on social media, maybe targeted at one speaker or another speaker. Like we have speakers here that have many different views, uh, many different perspectives on, on Bitcoin, how they use Bitcoin, what Bitcoin means to them. You know, if there's someone speaking, you don't like what they have to say. The answer is very simple. People, you just don't listen to that speaker. You don't, you don't go to that speaker. But what I would challenge you to do is to go with an open mind, listen to people that maybe you don't agree with, hear where they're coming from, have a good faith like meeting of the minds. And the goal is to walk away with this conference inspired to go do something like be inspired to get off your keyboard, to get off Twitter for a few minutes and go create something. And, you know, if you don't like what somebody has to say, go create the thing that you think is a better version of what they're saying. And if you do like what somebody has to say, Figure out how you can join forces with them, work with them, and, and, and push forward that initiative. That's what this fucking conference is about. And there's so many startups. There's so many technologies. There's core, new core developers every year that come out of this conference. And so, like, ignore the shade. It's it's always edgy and cool to be like, you know, hate on the thing that's, the, you know, is, I guess, the top show. I hate to say it like that, but that's what the, you know. But come with the mindset of like, how are you going to walk away with this doing something for Bitcoin? Because that's why we organize this. That's what we want people to come there with the mindset to do. I don't think it's cool anymore to be edgy and critical of everything. I've noticed that it doesn't work so much anymore. I think there's too many reasonable people who've come into Bitcoin in the last few years. I've, I've been on, because you know, I get the same shit. I get the same shit you get for the same reasons, right? Because you're the number one podcast. Yeah, and you know, you try and have a broader conversation with a wide group of people. I've been, uh, every now and again when I go in Nostra, Nostra, Nostar, yeah. and uh, like someone tries to give me some shit, they actually get shouted down. They're like, people like fucking grow up. I think I think that's a really small, irrelevant group now. So, uh, Well, dude, the only thing that matters from that perspective is proof of work. If you put in the work and you deliver the results, that speaks louder than anything else can. Exactly. And so like, you know, the fact that you keep creating a podcast that's fantastic and is dominant. Like, dude, you don't need to say like that. That says everything you needed to say, and yeah. so you know, uh, well, you gotta silence the haters by, by delivery. But back at you, like when you get twelve thousand people or twenty four thousand last year into the biggest finance event in the world, and it's a Bitcoin event, and everyone's looking at it, it's like shut the fuck up. I mean, <laughs> go, go and put on your own conference and see if you can get yeah. twenty people to your shit shit down. Dude, we we tell people, I mean, if you can do better, please. Like we own Bitcoin, we want Bitcoin to go up. So yeah. you know, go to, go do it better, please. This show is brought to you by Iris Energy. Now, Iris Energy is the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. Their strategy is to target markets with low-cost, excess renewable energy, and they build out their own highly efficient Bitcoin data centers. They are led by a seasoned management team with a track record of success across renewables, infrastructure, and digital assets. Now, Danny and I met the team recently in Canada and were super impressed with their values, which align with us. So they are a great fit for what Bitcoin did and you, the listeners. Now, we are going to be working with the Iris Energy team on everything we do from podcasts to films and live events. And they are even sponsoring my football team, Rail Bedford. I'm really, really happy to be working with such a forward-thinking and sustainable Bitcoin company. But if you want to find out more about them, please head over to irisenergy.co, which is I-R-I-S-E-N-E-R-G-Y.co. Next up, we have Ledin. From savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of holding today without selling their Bitcoin. Ledin has a robust risk management strategy which always prioritizes safeguarding clients' assets with no DeFi yield farming. And Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They also are dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. To find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N.io. Also, today we have Ledger. 
Now, Ledger is the world leader in Bitcoin security, and it's the best way to own and secure your private keys. If you're still holding Bitcoin on an exchange or with a custodian, it might be the time to take your security more seriously. Remember, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Now, Ledger hardware wallets paired with the Ledger Live app are the easiest and safest way to start managing your own private keys. You can send and sign your Bitcoin transaction with full transparency in the Ledger Live app. And honestly, look, it could not be easier. I have been a Ledger user since 2017. I love their products. and I'm still using the same hardware device I bought back then. Now, if you want to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. All right. I think, uh, I think we've got to talk GBTC, right? Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Dude, first off, I just want to say, like, you know, we are uh, connected to all the, I guess, the different groups involved in this. Your podcast that you did, I don't know how many emails I got with people clipping your podcast and sending me uh, uh, parts from it. The entire GBTC community saw it. You did a great job. uh, And kudos to you, man. I know that's awkward to do, um, but, dude, it, it needed to be said. So kudos. There was no plan to it. It was funny. Uh, during it, Danny thought I'd softballed him. There was no plan. Uh, when we sat down, you know, uh, we got a beer, we had a chat, and and I just started asking about the background. And I, you know, as I was doing it, I was realizing, you know, hold on, if you knew that, you should have known this. So we just walked through it. And then by the end, I was like, hi, I, I don't believe you. And so there was no plan to it. It just happened the way it was. Um, I would still sit down with him again. I, I He did exactly what I... I thought you would do, and I think what you had to do. But at the same time, I just didn't, I didn't believe him. Well, dude, you know, I've, I've invited him to speak at the Bitcoin conference. Uh, we're having a, a shareholder, we're calling a shareholder meetup because we can't call a shareholder meeting uh, legally. It's the trust documents forbid us from doing that. So we're having a shareholder meetup, and there's a bunch of GBTC shareholders that are going to be there. We have content about the trust, what's being done to bust the trust. And we've reserved time for Michael to speak to the shareholders. And like, it's the largest gathering, as far as we're aware, of shareholders in one place. So if he wants to speak to his customers, he wants to speak to his shareholders, we have a spot for him. So far, he has not responded to our offer. Um, so, you know, if you could put in a good word for us, please do. Dude, he unfollowed me on Twitter. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah, he unfollowed me. Um, so where do you want to start about GBTC? Well, There's a lot there. Give people the TLDR, the ones who didn't listen to that show, who maybe don't don't know exactly what's going on. Okay, so there's so many layers to the story. I'm going to do just the highest level job of it, but we can dive deeper where you find, I guess, maybe most interest. So uh, GBTC is a trust product created by Grayscale, which is a company owned by DCG, which is owned by Barry Silbert. Barry Silbert's a Bitcoin OG. DCG is one of the oldest companies in our industry. Um, this trust is one of like 16 trusts that they operate where basically you park cryptocurrency inside the trust. The two biggest trusts are GBTC, uh, which holds Bitcoin and ETHE, which owns Ethereum. Um, and then those trusts, the shares of those trusts, they trade on the secondary market, um, like in your IRA or your 401k, or like you just, you know, go on to Fidelity or, or, uh, Scott trade, whatever, and type in those tickers and, and buy it. Um, those holdings of the, those two trusts, um, GBTC and ETH, the rest are pretty small, but those two is worth like, uh, roughly 25 billion to $30 billion right now. That's how much, uh, crypto they're holding. Um, for specifically for GBTC, they're holding 630,000 Bitcoins, which makes it the world's largest holding of Bitcoin. Um, but because of some sketchy shit that has been done, at the DCG uh, family of companies, and because of some um, uh, unethical, duplicitous behavior from the management at Grayscale, um, the value of those shares that people bought, which are supposed to reflect the holding of those assets, are trading at a massive discount. So right now, GBTC is trading at a 40% discount to the value of the asset. So let's say it's sitting on hypothetically um, uh, $15 billion in Bitcoin. These are just rough numbers. $15 billion in Bitcoin. Right now it's trading at, you know, let's call it, uh, $9 billion, yeah. uh, as this valuation. 
And ETH E, it's even worse. I think it's like a 60% discount to the, the assets that it's holding. So um, there are roughly 850,000 shareholders of GBTC, almost a million people. Um, they're collectively down on this uh, trade, like uh, let's call it $10, $10 billion. Um, and a lot of these people, they actually bought these shares at a time when they were trading at a premium. So like a, there was one point in time where the value of the shares were worth more than the assets underpinning them. So maybe I bought the shares at a 30% premium and now we're at a 40% discount. So I've actually lost like 70, 80%. Um, and so like the scale of the situation is like, uh, uh, it is, I, in my opinion, bigger than FTX Alameda. Um, it is, uh, you know, FTX had a couple million customers, um, and they lost $8 billion, um, like or $9 billion. Most of it will be recovered. Uh, you know, with, with this situation, you have uh, grayscale that's lost shit. Um, 15, $16 billion between ETH E and GBTC, you know, reflecting a million and a half shareholders. And that doesn't include Genesis, which is deeply connected to the story, which is another company owned by DCG, um, which is, has maybe 400,000 creditors. Uh, you might know the, the number better than I, uh, I don't know uh, the number. uh, and they've, uh, they've lost those creditors $5 billion. So taken together, like this is way bigger than FTX. Um, and I actually think it's like maybe at the source of a lot of the frauds that happened over the past year really can be explained by behavior coming from this DCG uh, criminal enterprise. Whew. All right, bold statement. Um, so we'll come back to the Genesis part. So Michael Sunshine said to me, he he's working tirelessly uh, in the best interest of GBTC shareholders. Uh, but my understanding is that there is a way of closing the NAV now. Yeah. And that's to do with the, the, the um, commission they take. Yeah, well, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff they could do. Um, you know, first off, like, uh, according to some people we've talked to, one of, one of the things that make the biggest impact is there's all these sketchy inter-party dealings happening between Grayscale and Genesis and DCG. If they would just, re like, pull back the curtain reveal all the inter-party conflicts, all the inter-party transactions, and just were fully open Komodo transparent with people about what's happened, that would bring back confidence in the, in, at least in the management team and the business. And like that alone would improve the situation without costing a dollar. Now they can't do that because they've done some really shady shit that they'd get in trouble for. And that's like why they don't want to like go open Komodo. The next thing that they could do is like they could just charge like fees that are commercially standard that are similar to what anyone else would charge for a similar product. Instead, they're charging these exorbitant fees that are uh, create based off the NAV, which is the yeah. assets that are being held and not the actual value of the business. And so the effective fees that are being charged is like 4% per year. So when it's, when you're looking at like if I'm a shareholder or an investor and I'm looking at which trust do I invest into and there's this trust that holds Bitcoin and it charges you know 0.75 of a percent and there's this trust over here that charges effectively four percent I'm picking the one that's cheaper like I, why would I pick the one that's charging me four percent a year so if they could just make their 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 fees competitive um, that would improve the situation and then maybe the question that somebody listening to this would have is like okay well if their fees are such a ripoff why don't people leave. And that's the real root of the issue, which is that you're not allowed to leave. Um, they have no redemption program. Uh, uh, even though they have the full ability to implement a redemption program immediately, they choose not to because that would result in lower fees. And instead, they create this uh, narrative that they are aggressively pursuing becoming an ETF through suing the SEC um, and dragging out this long process while this entire time they're just chipping away uh, at the amount of Bitcoin that are sitting there by charging these exorbitant fees. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough situation. And one thing, I think you asked him this, like, why, why don't you lower your fees? No, I didn't, like, I didn't. I, you know what? It was on my list and I didn't because we got to the point where he was, he was getting told to leave. So, you know, he keeps saying it like in, in interviews, like, hey, we're committed to lowering our fee once we become an ETF. That makes no sense. 
an ETF costs more to run than a closed-in trust does. Like with an ETF, you have a redemption program. You have to basically process withdrawals every day. Like there's a lot of work to, to run an ETF. With this trust, you do nothing. They're not even, they don't create shares. They don't redeem shares. The Bitcoin just sits there. All they do is file with the SEC. So like their costs are going to go way up when they become an ETF. So um, the only reason they would lower their fees if they became an ETF is because you have the ability to leave and everyone would leave at their current fees. So uh, um, it's, uh, it, you know, in my... At 2%, they, do they charge it on the Bitcoin? And if so, that's what, 12,000 bit. 12, 12, 12 13,000 bitcoins a year. Yeah. 30,000 bitcoin a year. So that's about 400 million. Yeah. It's yeah. like the most profitable trust in the world. Yeah. So, the, the, you know, if you were cynical, you would say the incentive here is to drag this out as long, long as possible because, you know, never redeem. Yeah. If you can drag it out for three years, you've made over a billion. And if the bitcoin price goes up and doubles, it's two and a half billion. So, there's, a, there's an incentive to keep people trapped within this. Has anyone run the calculation how many years it would take for them to essentially have half that Bitcoin as theirs? Well, uh, no, uh, but eventually you could drain it down to zero and take a, yeah. a long time. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, that's my opinion of what's what's happening. And the thing is, is like if the price of Bitcoin 10x is their fees 10x. So like if the price of Bitcoin goes up 10x, they're going to be making 3 billion a year in fees for doing the same work that they were doing back when they were making 10 million a year in fees. And the only reason they get to charge that is because they won't let people leave. So uh, um, I, I've i been told, this is like we're, we're entering into the speculative realm because I can't verify this myself, but I've been told that even if Grayscale wins their lawsuit against the SEC to become an ETF, that they intend on having a multi-year period to actually convert into an ETF. Okay. So... So even if they win and they get approval for their ETF, it's not like, hey, we're opening up. It's like, yeah, we're opening up in a few years once we've extracted, you know, another 50,000, 60,000 Bitcoins from this thing. So, uh, you know, my kind of like mind, like like the moment I realized that we were screwed was like when, because I'm a shareholder of this thing and I've lost mm. a few million bucks in it. So like the, the moment I realized that we were screwed is like, I had always bought into this, this story that they wanted to become an ETF. Like I thought they were being honest about that. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm down with the cause. I want, I want to see that happen. Like I'm, I'm in this fight with y'all. Well, when I ran the map, the numbers and I realized like, okay, they have 3.3% of the world's Bitcoin. They're charging 2% of NAV for them to be an ETF. Like the best rate they're going to be able to charge like like the like the worst rate they can get away with is like 75 basis points okay well at 75 basis points they've reduced their fees that they're making their income by by two-thirds they're making one-third of what they used to make so uh assuming no one leaves the the trust when they open it up to become an etf they would need to 3x the amount of bitcoin they're holding in order to make the same amount of revenue they're making right now and when you have 3.3% of the world's Bitcoin supply, 3Xing that means you'd have to have 10% of the world's Bitcoin supply. Where are they going to get another uh, uh, 2 million Bitcoins? There's only like a million something Bitcoins on all the exchanges globally. So there's not even enough liquid Bitcoin out there for them to even get enough into their, into their uh, ETF to make the same amount of money they're making now. So if you just take the perspective, like they're going to follow the profit maximizing path, the profit maximizing path is never become an ETF, never open for redemptions, fight off every lawsuit that comes at you, and just drain this thing for as long as possible. It's like an inverse Ponzi. Yeah, well, the Ponzi part happened at, at Genesis. Let's come back to that one. Um, so you talk about busting the trust. So the interesting thing about the trust, they don't have a 100% stranglehold on it forever. If there's certain actions you can take to maybe bust it, right? Yeah. So um, there's really a, a, a let's call it a wide variety of different tactics and strategies. And like at the end of the day, the SEC um, and Gary Gensler and whoever the next chair of the SEC is, mm -hmm. they have God powers over this trust. Also, the Attorney General of Delaware has God powers over this trust, and they can just say like the Attorney General of Delaware can just 
like revoke the, the, the trust charter and just liquidate this thing if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. So there are certain uh, political processes by which uh, you could effectuate change at, at grayscale. There is certain litigation paths that you could go down in order to work through the court system uh, and through the trust documents in order to, to hold grayscale accountable. Um, it, that's more challenging, more time intensive and more costly. And then there's, let's call it business tactics or strategy, which is like, you know, uh, Barry uh, and DCG has a lot of problems right now. And, you know, there are certain deals that could be struck with the shareholders at Grayscale that would uh, benefit Barry, like maybe give him cash in the short term and would benefit uh, shareholders where there could be a win-win and both of us could solve part of our problem. Um, there's so much upside in taking the discount from, you know, 40%, like you're doubling your money as shareholders. So there's so much room to work with. You would imagine some sort of deal could get struck. Uh, but, uh, so far that's been, uh, uh, not fruitful. So like, those are like the, um, kind of three different buckets, you know, the one that's maybe like the most interesting from just like the timeliness of this conversation is Genesis, like what's going to happen at Genesis? Because there's a very real possibility that Genesis could end up, the Genesis creditors could end up becoming the new owner of DCG, in which case we don't need to strike a deal with Barry to, to bust open this trust. We need to strike a deal directly with uh, Genesis creditors um, who are going to be setting the future path of the DCG estate. Um, so, uh, but yeah, there's, there's litigation that's happening now. I can talk about all the different litigation that's happening, but yeah, like I, like just to back up a minute, like there's a million shareholders of GBTC alone. Some of these shareholders are some of the biggest financial institutions in the world. There are vultures. I don't want to call them vultures because vultures has a mean connotation. There are, are sharks. Okay. These guys are very smart, have a lot of resources circling the whole DCG situation and they have the best law firms in the country. They have all the capital you could possibly need and they are probing this thing in every way possible to figure out where are the weak points where we can bust open this $30 billion and unlock all of this value. So, uh, um, like I, in some ways I feel for Barry because he's kind of like on an Island and the sharks that are circling them, they're not like little, little baby sharks. These are like, uh, what do you call them? Uh, Megla, Megalodon, Megalodon. <laughs> uh, prehistoric sharks that can just eat the whole Island. So, um, yeah. And, and our little tiny role that we play in this is like, we're like a, a runner back and forth between all these different parties, uh, uh, connecting them, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're in a unique spot where we know who all the other different shareholders are in a way that other shareholders don't. So we just kind of help piece together different tactics that people are taking and, and try to be um, helpful and connect dots as we can. All right. And then, so let's talk about the Genesis thing again, the TLDR for the people who don't know about the fuckery that went on there. So, um, you know, I don't have all the, the, the yeah. statistics to the same degree I have with GBTC. I, I, I can talk about how it interacts though with, with Grayscale. So um, there was a, a, certain type of uh, activity that was done at Genesis that was never disclosed to GBTC shareholders. And this is when our firm felt like we had been defrauded. Like when we found out this was going on, it was like, wow, if we had known this had been happening, we wouldn't have done this investment. But basically uh, 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 Genesis was lending um, Bitcoin to uh, a handful of select firms um, allowing them to, on the condition really, that they take that Bitcoin, they park it in the Grayscale Trust, um, uh, which you had to put Bitcoin in to get shares in the trust. And then they were letting them take the shares um, that they got, which are supposed to be restricted, meaning that you can't move them, you can't trade them, you can't sell them for six months. Um, and they, they were allowing them to take those shares, use them as collateral to borrow more money from Genesis and park it in the trust. And they basically enabled this cycling to happen. Um, and so if you, if you look at the assets that were in Grayscale, at the end of 2019, there was like 300,000 Bitcoins that were in the trust. 
um, and it had been growing linearly every single year. Okay, 2019 is when they, uh, in 2020, is when they signed these master loan agreements at Genesis with firms like some of the, some of the, the best names in the space, uh, BlockFi, Three Arrows, Alameda, Celsius, Babel Finance. Basically, every firm that blew up is who they were doing this trade with. And uh, uh, the amount of assets that were inside of GBTC went from 300,000 Bitcoins to 650,000 Bitcoins in one year time. And then they stopped creating new shares uh, when the, the shares started trading at, a, at negative. So like, they used this financing tool to flood uh, uh, free Bitcoin into the hands of Ponzi schemes on the condition that those Ponzi schemes then parked the money back with them in a different vehicle where they knew the Bitcoin could never come back out. And the, the end result is not only did they flood the market with shares, which has caused this massive uh, discount, but the creditors at Genesis who are now fucked and have lost all their money. Okay, well, where did their money end up? It ended up inside of Grayscale. So really, it's like, uh, uh, I like, like he defrauded the Genesis customer base. He used y'all's Bitcoin. He laundered it through a Ponzi scheme. He had the Ponzi scheme give it back to him in a different vehicle, and he still has the Bitcoin. Like it's still sitting in Grayscale's trust. So, and he's making fees off of it. So, uh, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a sick thing that happened there. And if you compare what happened with like FTX and Alameda, there's a lot of parallels, you know, FTT is their GBTC, you know, token, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, uh Alameda is their, is their DCG. It's their slush fund where all the, the profits get spent on whatever they want to spend them on. And uh, Genesis is their FTX. It's where the, the customers get uh, lured in to deposit their funds and they then get sucked right back out to go into the other parts of the, the, the empire. So, um, and these loans that were happening from Genesis to um, all of these illustrious characters, um, not, like they were never disclosed to at, at, at Grayscale. And for the longest time, if you ask Michael Shaughnessyne, hey, what about these loans? He'd go, that's Genesis. I have nothing to do with that. Okay. Well, if you go to the exactly, if you go to the bottom of those master loan agreements, his signature is on every single one of them. Uh, Grayscale has to approve the tra- those the, uh, the the transfer of those restricted shares, etc. Every single time. So we only know about one of them. We only know about the three arrows one, uh, where the documents actually came out in in uh, the bankruptcy uh, case, but. Um, there's more and they're going to come out in time and we're going to see who else they were, they were doing this trade with. I also thought it was like interesting from your interview. Michael said that they know every one of the customers that comes in. He's like, Oh, we, we do chain analysis. We do KYC. And you, you were asking about that and he kind of like gave up the game a little bit where he said, Oh, Mm -hmm. well, you know, it was Bitcoin coming from, from Genesis and so, you know, when we do a chain analysis on it, like it was like, it's, it's Genesis's Bitcoin. And it's like, well, you know, how can you say that, you know, the source of the customer funds when you took funds from the biggest Ponzi schemes in the industry and however you were able to take those funds in, whether you washed them through Genesis or whatever, you weren't able to detect that this money, that these, these firms were Ponzi schemes. Like the whole point of the KYC process, the whole point of the, the, the chain analysis process is to detect criminal activity and you created a structure so that that criminal activity could just be washed and come right in. And now the victims are the shareholders, the million shareholders who are sitting on a fucking asset that's down 50% because uh, of that behavior. So, uh, you know, anyway, I'm getting now I'm wild in a little bit. So yeah, but <laughs> I don't know how they thought they'd get away with it. I don't know how they thought the party would go on forever. I, that is one of the, the big mysteries to me too. And, and, you know, one of the things that people have told me is like, well, Barry has a background in bankruptcy and, you know, like Barry thought that he could structure this in a way that he's going to get away with it. And if that's the case, this guy is an absolute, just like, Hey, I, I I'm going to run this scheme. I'm going to make sure I set up the right shell entities so that when I fuck you out of all your money, I'm going to leave you with nothing to go after. And all your profits are going to be in another vehicle. You can't touch that. I'm going to make my money on. Like if that's intentionally designed, 
that is dark. And yeah. I, I will say, I will say in terms of the intentionality, the trust documents at Grayscale got changed five times over the lifetime of the trust documents. Mm-hmm. There used to be a clause in the trust documents going back like all the way up to 2017, I believe, or 2018, that said if 75% of the shareholders get together and are unhappy with the sponsor, they can hold a vote and they can change the sponsor. Now, 75% is a really high threshold. Like that's, you know, most it's 50 plus one, but 75%. Okay, that's what the rule is. They changed that, removed it, and said, actually, we're amending the trust documents in the sketchiest way possible, like this implied consent way where there was no vote or anything. We're changing the trust documents so that no percentage is enough. You can't remove us as the sponsor. And it's like, what was the thought process behind making that change where you thought 75% is not a high enough threshold to protect us from how pissed off people are going to be once they realize what's happened? This show is brought to you by my new sponsor, Unchained. Now, if you've been listening to my show for a while, you'll know I'm a big fan of saving Bitcoin for the long term. I'm a hodler, which is why I'm happy to recommend the Unchained IRA. Their Bitcoin IRA lets you control the keys to your tax-advantaged Bitcoin, and if you have a Roth IRA, that means you don't pay capital gains on the price appreciation. Now, unfortunately, most IRA providers require that you give up control of your Bitcoin, but not with Unchained. Controlling your keys with the Unchained IRA protects you from exchange hacks or frozen accounts, and Unchained is an all-in-one solution. They'll help you establish a traditional or Roth IRA, set up your cold storage vault, roll over your existing 401k or IRA, and if you want one-on-one guidance, their concierge team will send you devices and walk you through setting up and securing your keys at your own pace. If you want to set up your IRA today, head over to unchained.com forward slash what Bitcoin did or schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more. That is unchained.com forward slash what Bitcoin did, which is U-N-C-H-A-I-N-E-D dot com forward slash what Bitcoin did. And if you want to get $50 off, please use the promo code what Bitcoin did at the checkout. Next up today, we have Wasabi, who I am using to keep my Bitcoin private. Now, Wasabi is the easiest way to send and receive Bitcoin privately. And even for non-technical people like me, it is effortless and provides privacy by default. Now, with Wasabi, there is no minimum amount, so you can get started coin joining straight away. And Wasabi users make coin join transactions together with BTC Pay and Trezor users, and BTC Pay server users can make payments in CoinJoin, which saves on fees and is a privacy improvement. Also, Wasabi have just dropped a new feature. Now, Trezor Suite users can make coin joins directly on the hardware wallet, which is obviously very cool. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W A S A B I W A L L E T.io. Also, today we have BitCasino. Now, BitCasino was established in 2013 and is the world's first licensed Bitcoin casino. It is trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. And not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they offer fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. BitCasino also has over 2,800 games and tournaments to try out. And with 24-7 live chat support, you can always get the help you need. To find out more, please head over to bitcasino.io, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award. That is bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. I thought about Barry a lot. Um, you know, I've met him, and you know, I met him a while back, and yeah, he seemed like a good guy. And I had no idea what was, you know, only this fuckery was going on. But I, I was sitting there thinking, like, was he the mastermind behind this, trying to figure out like some grand scheme, or is it people within the structure of what he's got have come up with these ideas? And you know, people who are running the loan book at Genesis have thought, well, we could do this, and. Like, I don't know how intrinsically involved he was in... Because it could be that someone is a big mastermind that comes over, or it could be just a chain of stupid decisions of trying... Like, Genesis are trying to get as many loans as possible. GBTC, um, they're trying to, you know, grow the trust enough. But I always come back to the fact that, well, there has to be a link between the two because of those loan agreements. There has to be a link. Well, so, so yeah, I mean, like, I... I can buy in that like perverse incentives lead people to make bad decisions where the line is crossed is when you realize that you've made bad decisions and that there's a lot of victims and that there's something you can do to make good to the best of your ability on those victims, you choose not to do that. 
that's where now there is no like, oh, I didn't know what was going to happen. Now it's like, you know, you're hurting people and you're, you don't care. Like, it's like you care more about your own self-interest than you do about fucking a million people or two million people. And um, the, the that's exactly what I said to Sunshine in the interview. I said, you can do something about it. And he said, I'm working tirelessly for the shareholders. We're going to, we're suing the SEC. I'm super, I'm so brave. I'm suing the SEC. I'm the bravest guy to do that. And I was thinking, nah, you're full of shit. You can do something right now. They're like all these people that you owe money to, you know, and I'm not even worried about the people who've got 10 million in there. There's people in there who've got thousands. There's even Gemini customers have got thousands in there, but that's, that's all they've got. Was it a really meaningful amount to them? And there's so many people who are being fucked to protect a few people who are super rich. And it pisses yeah. me off. It's everything we're trying, it's, it's, it's the opposite of everything we're trying to do. 100%. And, and GBTC, like, it was sold as a product built by the adults in the room and it was sold into people's 401ks and IRAs. And we've gotten 4,000 investors have now reached out to us. We've gotten hundreds of messages of retirees that are wiped out. That are like, I believe in Bitcoin. I still believe in Bitcoin. But I bought this thing at a premium. I'm down 80% and I'm going to have to go get a job again. And I'm 70 years old. Like, like it's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And, you know, the, the, the thing, like the two places where Michael Shine is being completely dishonest with people. One is like, okay, he could make decisions today that would be good for shareholders that would make uh, Grayscale still be a half billion dollar company or a billion dollar company. Like if he just reduced the fees, if he was transparent about uh, what was happening at the, at the business and he was honest about a redemption plan, doesn't even have to start immediately or like partial redemption plan. Uh, uh, those things would preserve the business. He'd have a fantastic business. There's still 100, 600,000 Bitcoins in this trust. But he can't do that because that's not good enough for DCG. So yeah. he's making decisions at Grayscale based on what's good for DCG, not good, not for what's good for their customers or the Grayscale business or their shareholders. So, so that's like one thing that he's being dishonest about. The second thing he's being dishonest about is his, his whole ploy about not being able to do redemptions right now. This whole like, hey, the, uh, the SEC won't let us do the redemptions. Uh, we're not allowed to do the redemptions. That's a lie. It's a lie. And uh, I have talked to 20 plus law firms on this topic. Um, I, I think this is actually something that's going to be clarified soon by Gary G Gensler. Um, but uh, uh, to, to seek the uh, uh, Reagan relief to do the redemption program that would allow, would get rid of the discount tomorrow. All they have to do is file notice with the SEC. The, the SEC would have to uh, uh, get, uh, would have to intervene to stop them. It's not like they need permission to do anything. They just tell the, the SEC, hey, we're doing this. And the SEC would have to be like, they'd have to give, I think, five business days. And then the SEC would uh, have to intervene if they wanted to stop it. Reg M, the thing that they're claiming that the reason they can't do redemptions is only when you are creating and redeeming shares simultaneously. If you're only creating shares or you're only redeeming shares, and there's been one year of time between those two, one of those things happening, there is no controversy about being able to offer a redemption program. So his whole thing about we are singularly focused on becoming an ETF, so focused we won't even think about any other idea that we could implement right away to help people. It's like, it's just bullshit. And he is like, wants to act like he's on a crusade against the SEC to do right by shareholders when he could in five business days, solve the entire problem, but won't. Well, he, I, I don't think he can. All I think he can do is blow the whistle on, on what he did or was part of. I don't think so, he can do it. He'll so be fired. It, it, okay, then Barry. Like, you know, like, I don't know, you, you know, it, the buck stops with someone. So I, I'm going to say the buck stops, stops with Michael because he's the CEO. But if he got fired trying to do the right thing, at least that would preserve his reputation. But like, okay, then the buck stops with Barry. Mm. Um, but like, they could do that tomorrow, and they're playing this total shell game, lying to everyone's face, and it's just it 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 pisses me off so bad to see because the victims are real. And if you read the the complaint that FTX filed last night against uh, um, the clawback, the four billion dollar clawback, have you seen that? No, I saw you tweet about it. That like, let the games begin. Oh yeah, no, dude. 
everything's going to the next level right now. Uh, but uh, um, this $4 billion uh, clawback that they filed for, uh, like if you read the documentation, they say in their complaint that that uh, Genesis was the main feeder fund of the FTX and Alameda Ponzi scheme. And that at one point in time, Barry had lent Alameda $8 billion oh, fuck. of money from the depositors at, at, at Genesis. So they were, they were just playing a net interest margin game where they were paying out the depositors at Genesis 3%. And everybody thought, wow, I'm trusting the best, the best that there is. And then he was turning around and lending it out to a literal criminal Ponzi scheme uh, at 8% interest and pocketing the difference, 8 billion bucks. And the, the, like he enabled these crimes. He like, without that money, Alameda and FTX would have never gotten to the size they, they got to, you know, same with three arrows, same with Voyager, same with, uh, uh, go down the list. And so, uh, you know, not only did he victimize all these people at Genesis, but he victimized all the people at all of the other firms as well when he funded the criminal enterprises that fucked them over too. So like, I kind of look at like that GBTC, it's like the ring of power and it corrupts all. And like Barry has become Sauron corrupted by this vehicle. And they, that, that ring of power is the source of all the money, the liquidity that allowed these Ponzi schemes to expand so massively. And that's why he's the last domino to fall because he's the source of it all. Like it's all, all the dominoes have tumbled backwards now to where it began. Do you, could, could these people end up in jail for this kind of thing? Because, I, you know, you talk, a lot of the things you've said, like they remind me of everything I, I've seen when I've read about the Madoff case or watched a film about Madoff, you know, where you see all the you know, retirees who were fucked by it. Um, yeah, Madoff got, what is it, 150 years? Yeah, I mean, I, if, if Sam's going to go to jail, then I don't know why um, th this behavior is the same. Maybe it's papered a little bit better. I know that there's criminal investigations that are ongoing right now at the Department of Justice at, uh, in the state of New York, uh, and we will see what the outcome of those at the SEC. We'll see what the outcome of those investigations are. Um, you know, I'm a redneck from from Tennessee, and you know, we have a saying like, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, and like. There's so much fucking smoke at DCG, you can't breathe. So I, my guess is that as you actually dig deeper uh, and you get the documentation, the intercompany communication, uh, et cetera, you're going to get the receipts for the, the crimes. But we'll, we'll see. Yeah, and I don't know how much you can talk to this, but I'm, I'm guessing this has been a, a fuck of you to go through because there's clearly like some, I don't know if it's personal investment or treasury management, but there's, you're clearly exposed. Dude, well, so, you know, uh, we lost like, um, let's call it 3 million bucks or something on this, on this trade, which like, like that sucks. But like in the scheme of things, like for our fund that we have, that's like at, at the time that, that we lost those funds, marked it to that, let's call that like 8% or 7% right. of the fund. So it's like, it's painful, but it's not like, okay, like, you know, it, it could have been worse. Where we got wrapped up in this is we threw up a website, redeemgbtc.com. Well, first I started bitching on Twitter about it. <laughs> then I threw up a website, redeemgbtc.com, because so many people were, were hitting me up in my DMs. I couldn't. It was like flooding. And um, and shameless shill, if you're a shareholder of any of these trust products, go to redeemgbtc.com, fill out the form, let us know who you are. We'll keep you up to date about what's going on. We may need your help on certain initiatives down the road. So please do that. It takes two minutes, please. But, um, so, uh, uh, we stood up this website and then the floodgates started coming in of thousands of people. And it's like, once you start reading the messages, this takes on like a whole nother, uh, it's brutal. It's brutal. It's like, wow, I'm, I've been advocating for 12 years for Bitcoin. Like my, this is my career. This is my reputation. And we're allowing scams like this to happen on such a scale that I, for the first time in my entire career in Bitcoin, I felt ashamed to be involved in this, like the first time ever. And so, you know, I felt like 
like, damn, we have to, we have to wash this out. Like, you know, I don't, I'm not some big state person. I don't like the SEC. I don't like the government. I don't, I think they're as corrupt as, as anybody, but like, okay, well then if that means the responsibility is going to lie on us, we have to wash this out. And so, uh, as I've learned more and more, I've been sucked into this. So this is not what I want to be doing. I, I no one's paying me to do this. If we're successful, my shares will go up in, in value, but it's not enough to justify the amount of time that, that we're spending on this. Uh, it's just like, you know, our reputation and our legacy as an industry is, is being marred by this behavior. And people have knew this was going on. People have known this is going on and they haven't said anything about it because of the money, because they, there's too much money to be made. And if you open your mouth, you might lose some of it. And like, we see where that is a road to, like, it's a road to some massive calamity that sets the industry back four years. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. I mean, I went through it with BlockFi. I, I had the emails about BlockFi. Uh, it is, it's fucking brutal seeing what people are going through. And, and you know, what? The, the really strange thing is everyone's really cordial when they explain it to you. The, the, you know, they're not. They're not ranting at you. They're just telling you the story they've been through. But it's it's brutal to see. Um, and you saw I saw it on Reddit a lot as well. Um, yeah, I, I, it's I, it's really shifted my per, like personal approach to what I think I should be doing, what I should be supporting. So, I, like I agree with you, and anything we can do to help and support, you know, you just reach out. And let us know on that, man. Dude, well, thank you. Well, I can tell you, you getting Michael on the record. Uh, other journalists interviewing uh, Michael and letting him speak. The more he says, uh, the more information that he that he gives shareholders, etc., into what happened. And even if he doesn't intend to, he is. So g- give him as many interviews as y'all can. <laughs> did, did I did I tell you how that interview came about? No. So we were. I I first interviewed him. He was like my thirtieth interview ever back in two thousand eighteen. As I've never spoken to him since, and we were going to New York to do a run of shows, and Danny, my producer, said, we should get Michael on the show. I was like, nah, mate, there's no chance he's going to come on the show. Don't even bother. He's like, okay. His fucking PR firm wrote to us and said, oh, would you like to have uh, Michael on the show? And we're like, huh, funny that. We're going to be in New York in two weeks. Sure. And they went, great. We'll get it set up. And like the whole time I was thinking, no, you're not going to come. And then they uh, they messaged us in advance and said, uh, can you let us know the questions you're going to ask? It's like, no, we don't give anyone any questions. We can give you some topics, but no questions. And so and then obviously I called you up and said, by the way, I've got an interview with uh, Michael Sonnenschein coming up. Um, can you give me some of the background to the, you know, what's going on with the the trust? And then it happened. It, there was It was really weird. I was, I was surprised they would come on the show. I, the, the best part of the interview to me was when he's just like, we're just two guys enjoying a beer, hanging out in New York. No PR firms. <laughs> the PR people. Yeah, know? well, his, his PR, his head of crisis management was in the room. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a moment where he he goes like this. And that moment, he's looking at his uh, um, his head of crisis management. And I think he's basically saying to her, what the, f- what the fuck, where have you put me? She, in, interestingly enough... Uh, at one point, I said something. She she blurted out something, and I was thinking, "What the fuck are you doing? You're not in the interview. You you're not. You, you can be in the room. You're not meant to shut up." And then the next day, they um, they were riding to us, asking us to edit bits out, which we refused to do. Um, mm-hmm. So, look, it's what it is. I mean, look, straight up, I'd have him back on if he wants to talk. He, he's obviously armed now to know what I'd be like, but I would still talk to him. I, yeah. I want to appeal to him. Barry's the same. Bar- I mean, I'm sure they'll both listen, and I would have Barry on. Barry has always refused to do an interview um, for obvious reasons, but I'd always have him on. I'd always be fair with him. But, yeah, what a fucked situation, man. Well, listen, <laughs> we just need to get to Miami and just get past it. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, you know, I, I'm sure that Michael and that Barry have a lot of pressure on them right now, and I'm sure that they're having a hard time sleeping, and I'm sure they got... Like, uh, I'm sure no one wants to be in the shoes that they're in right now. And so, you know, I, I respect that it's a, a tough situation. Um, you know, before all this happened, I, I had a ton of respect for Barry Silbert and, you know, a ton of respect for him, but like shit has gone sideways 
and you are in the position to do something about it immediately. And that is your total obligation and duty is, is to act, to write the thing that happened. And every day you don't do that. Like not only do you burn goodwill, you hurt more people. So it's like, uh, these guys, they have to rise to the moment and do the right thing by people or otherwise they're going to be forced to do the right thing through the courts or through the political system. And, you know, uh, history will not look favorably on them. So, um, but yeah, not to be negative. I'm excited for Miami. I'm ready for a new epoch. I'm ready for fresh beginnings and I'm interested to see who the, 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 the new uh, leaders in our industry are that are going to be able to rise up in the vacuum created by the implosion of all these firms. So, um, yeah. Roll on Miami. All right, man. Well, listen, look, uh, I've got to go. I've got to go and pack. I haven't even packed. I've got to, I've got to get up at five in the morning and go and catch this flight. So, listen, when are you getting in? Uh, a few days before the, the conference. So, give me a shout. Let's hang out. Yeah, I'll find you. We'll hang out. We'll have a beer. I know you're going to be busy, but look, Appreciate everything you're doing. This event, I've loved it. I've loved it since the first one in San Francisco. Uh, I always love seeing your mum. <laughs> always love catching up with her. It's brilliant. And I love what you did in uh, in Amsterdam with the conference there. So listen, uh, anything we can do to help, give me a shout and I'll see you in Miami. Peter, much love. See you in Miami. Uh, catch you later. All right, what did you make of that? Listen, I absolutely love David Bailey. He's one of the coolest people in Bitcoin. What he's done with the Bitcoin conference is truly unbelievable. Last year, there were 24,000 people in Miami. It was the largest financial conference in the world. Unbelievable. What a legend. Now, I also think what he's doing with GBTC is really interesting, and I will be following it closely. Anyway, I'm off to enjoy Miami. I hope to see some of you here soon. If you've got any questions about this or anything else, just hit me up. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. 